What's good, fam? All right. Uh, this is the plan for today. I prepped for a segment that I'm embarrassed that I prepped about. So that'll be the vague link to click on for this one. What did I see? I saw somebody else doing something the other day. Where they're like, you won't believe what this guy said. I'm like, well, I don't care who that guy is. So I don't, I don't know if I believe it or, or don't believe it. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably try to do one of those vague things. But here's, here's what we're doing. You already listened to the podcast. You already clicked on it. So we're good to go. I'm doing a full breakdown of, well, it's not full. It's probably inefficient, inaccurate, but it's a good segment. I don't like how all these guys are going on The Bachelor and Bachelorette saying they're pro athletes because almost none of you are actually pro athletes, like none of you. And I'm going to start calling dudes out, and that's fine. If it gets weird, if I run into some of these guys and now it's on, then it's on. And we got content. We're also going to do the best Brady stories from a bunch of different people. A lot of requests were sent out. Apparently, a lot of dudes that were into it then kind of didn't want to do it because they're afraid of telling Brady stories, which is insane to me because most of these guys aren't even playing anymore. Um, but Tom Curran's going to do one. Mike Giardi's going to do one. And going back to the well, Drew Henson, our guy, he tells a great Brady story back in the day when they were at Michigan together that you haven't heard. This is a bigger part of our backup quarterback kind of you know month anthology that we're going to do a little bit later okay so we have that um and it could be mike lombardi too so we're kind of doing this on the fly because there's some dudes that said yes that now are saying no and they know who they are and that sucks because you jammed a dude you jammed a dude up pretty good but that's all right we're still having a great time right we're all having a great time so let's Let's talk some football. But first, want to remind you about Yahoo Daily Fantasy. It's starting the year off hot with a $500,000 fantasy football contest that has zero management fee. That means Yahoo is making nothing on this contest. Less players equals better odds for you. More than one in five people who play will double their money. Not a bad way to kick off the new year. There's a limit of 10 entries per person, so don't miss this contest. Go to Yahoo.com Daily Fantasy. Use the promo code Yahoo25. Right? Yahoo 25. And when you make your first deposit, you get $25 in free play. Got to talk Belvedere. Pretty cool. The other night, went to Nick's Manhattan Beach. Wanted to get out of the house, watching a ton of NBA. And I can walk to Nick's. Nice little spot. Great dinner. Check it out. And I was like, you know what? I feel like having a Belvedere and soda. And the bartender goes, so it's not just in the podcasts on Dual Threat from the Ringer. Wow. I don't know. I go, I, I genuinely enjoy it. Produced in one of the world's longest running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Part of a 600-year-old Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 16, and 17. A Warriors-type run. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. Just some random observations. Because it's a Wednesday of taping dual threat, I don't want to do a massive, and then on 3rd and 11, uh, those games on Sunday were incredible. I don't smoke. I I felt like hitting your jewel, Kyle. (laughs) I felt like hitting it. That mango, I could have used some. Because it was... It was unbelievable how great the games were. Let's start with the NFC one. I had was it's I was seven and one in the playoff games. The only one I'd got wrong, or actually seven and one against the spread, six and two straight up. So the one I got wrong was New England and the LA Chargers. And then I had Seattle winning, but I got them on the spread. So I was on fire, right? Doing really well. And then I got well, I don't I'm gonna tell you what happened. I didn't make a pick on the AFC. And we'll get to that a little bit later because the Pats are clearly in my head. A little bit like Chet and weird science. They dominate me. There's nothing I can do. Uh, Chet is really scary. And if you're not going to get this reference if you're younger. Uh, if you're older, you love it. I don't know that Weird Science, the movie, still holds up. Dated a girl once whose nickname was Weird Science. That was a huge compliment. I was pretty <laughs> fired up that my buddies called her Weird Science. They called her the science. Uh, now I'm starting to think about her. Moving on, Chet. Uh, yeah, Chet. Was uh, Bill Paxton, his finest ex-Marine, living at home? I'm seriously thinking about making up some stuff. All right, so there's a little 80s for you. Sorry to go so deep in it. And as Simmons has said, even here when they were going to do a rewatchables of Fletch, like people voted no. Imagine going out of your way to actively vote no, don't do a rewatchables with Fletch. And then Simmons is like, dude, we can't make any 80s. We had a whole ringer meeting here, 
And everybody was late. We're like, don't make any more 80s references in anything that you do. And then 98% of the staff was like, why would I? And then Bill and I just looked at each other being like, okay, this is, this is for you and I. So I have, uh, I have a few things that I want to get to, which I've sort of already done a little bit. The call, the call, the call. The call is egregious. The call is terrible. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And yes, even though there's so many people that want to go, well, what about this call? What about that call? What about, you know, you, you guys out there, the screen grabbers that are trying to do the screen grab justice. And more often than not, your screen grab is total bullshit to begin with. And I've always made the joke that you would screen grab a guy jumping off a building and argue on the internet that he's flying. So I, I don't, Look, Jared Goff should have gotten a face mask. He didn't. You know what else happens? A lot of missed face mask calls as the hand is brushing against the face mask, turns it a bit, and the guy's hand comes off of it. That is an easy call to miss, okay? It happens throughout a game. The zero on the play clock and the ball being snapped, that happens all the time. It happens. It happens. It's funny. It happens so often that it makes me wonder how many people actually watch football closely. Yes, I'm a good watcher of games, of sports. It's basically the same thing. I didn't need to repeat myself, but you understand the point. So when you're a guy going, oh, they didn't even get it off, like they snapped it right at zeros, every quarterback who's played in this league will tell you the refs give you the benefit of the doubt. Tie goes to the runner. Tie, even if it's not even a tie, they'll be like, we give the quarterback the opportunity to do this. Quarterbacks have mentioned this because every time it's a big game and everyone is watching and a Big play, it snapped at zero. People freak out. And all of you people that freak out about it, you're doing it wrong. Okay? So it doesn't matter. So that call in itself, Roby hitting the receiver for the Saints. You know how often now, like this league is all P.I. And how often now do you watch where you see a play, it's an incompletion, there's some sort of dust up on the field, and you sit now in anticipation of the flag? Like I didn't used to do that for decades. Now. The last few years, I just wait for the flag. I'm like, oh, the flag's going to come. The flag's going to come. I'm like, oh, there's the flag. There's the flag. And that's what I did on that play. I just sat there, and I was like, okay. I'm like, this is going to be a late one. I'm like, okay. Wait a minute. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> They're not going to call a flag on this. And then you see the replay over and over and over again. It, you could have been called face guarding. It could have, if you really wanted to, saying it was targeting. You could have said helmet to helmet. It was definitely pass interference. So, sorry, Rams fan. I know you're sick of hearing this, but enjoy your trip to the Super Bowl. You're like, kill it, man. I'm not anti-Rams. I, I am pro-truth. And the truth is, that is one of, and I'm not hyperbole guy, I am all for trying to figure out some street to navigate through the angry mob and go in the opposite direction. I like to try to find a way, be, like, I rarely want to be with a mob because I think the mob is so dumb all the time. The mob's right on this one. This call was horrible. And then when you watch from the fan cam video that's going out there, where the line judge is looking right at it with the back judge off to the side, it's two guys right there, and it is out in the open, and it is this play that is called and flagged all the time now in this super important part of the game. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Now, does that mean I want them to start reviewing PI? I don't, because I think it's all going to look like pass interference in slow motion. I do. <laughs> like, look at all the times that you look at like, unless they're going to have some sort of gray area understanding where it has to be egregious in, in the replay, or are they going to start pulling flags? Is the guy challenging? Then, it, then I've heard things like, you should have some sort of challenge everything Trump flag. Okay? No, but seriously, like, on the surface, maybe it sounds okay. Like, I am allowed to challenge one thing that's not allowed to be challenged at any point. So I get my two flags, and I get, like, this special green flag. <laughs> The special power-up flag. Um, All right, but what do you do? When can you use that? In the NFC title game, there would be a time where you would probably want to use it. And you wouldn't want to sit there and just go, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to use my green power-up flag until the last minute because you don't know. And then what if you were right with the green power-up flag at some other point where it was the I'm allowed to challenge anything rule and then I have to follow the rules on the other two red flags. And then... Something terrible happens to you in the second quarter. You think it's a really big moment of the game because you think you're going to go up 20 nothing, um, And then that happens to you, right? And you're like, oh, I should have kept the green flag. So, like, I am not – I mean, Will Kane had me on the radio show, and he goes, there's an actual section of the NFL bylaws where the commissioner could 
rule that something needs to be played over again. And he's like, why do you? And I just interrupted him. I go, the Saints got screwed. I can't believe they missed the call, but let's not lose our minds on this. Yes, we could have another committee to judge committees headed by committee vet Tony Dungy, (laughs) or we could have the committee that rules on other committees committee, dueling committees. People love committees after any kind of controversy. And then it becomes, well, what can we do here? There's been an announcement that the NFL is going to review this pass interference challenge possibility. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we do this kind of Monday hysteria where it's like, okay, how do we solve this problem? I ran into a former NBA guy, the Equinox, not name dropping. It's mm-hmm. just how I roll. Mm-hmm. And he goes, how does that league do that? I was like, yeah, but do you like your two minute warning report? Cause that's always nonsense too. And like, yeah, it is. It is. He's like, well, just, just has to be something they can do. I go, I don't think there's anything they can do. I mean, for anybody to suggest the Saints fans should sue and they should have to play this over again because that's the article that I read. The only time I think that would be applicable would be last Boy Scout. If a tight end pulls out a Glock and shoots a safety through the helmet and kills him and scores the game-winning touchdown, then I would be open to a discussion about like, hey, maybe somebody should step in here that has some authority and we play that last play over without killing anyone. Let's get rid of that guy with the with the Glock. Uh, that would then I'd be open to it. And imagine if it did happen for real, not just in the last Boy Scout. The talk shows would be, I mean, we'd have gun control, was the tight end white? Uh, we'd have all sorts of topics there. What does that mean? You know, then we could even if the tight we could have other people go, well, do we know what intent was? I mean, we could uh, there's a lot of different topics that sports loves to dip their toe into there where we'd have a field day on TV, but let's hope no one actually does any of that stuff. I still have like four other things that I want to get to here before we do the Brady stories from our guys. So I want to remind you about Sonos. The Sonos beam is awesome. It's smart. It's compact. It's the sound bar for your TV and newest addition to the easy to use Sonos home sound system. I'm telling you right now, like if you've never been around the Sonos thing, you go, wait, it's this easy. It's all right there on the phone. Don't be afraid, folks. Don't be afraid. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services and airplay, so you can play everything you love and enjoy music, radio, movies, TV, podcasts, and more. Beam fills the room with rich, brilliantly clear sound. Enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music. Plus, crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. See, that's the secret there on the Beam. Like, hey, this sounds like music. Hey, this sounds like dialogue. I'm a dialogue guy. I love it. Beam is easy to set up. Connects your TV with just one cord and syncs your existing remote. Plus, the Sonos app walks you through setup step-by-step. And with built-in Amazon Alexa, you can enjoy hands-free control of your music and more. Connect Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi and listen anywhere in the house. Create the ultimate entertainment center when you pair Beam with a sub and two Sonos Ones for truly immersive surround sound. I love it at my house. It's awesome. And... I just love that I can control it all on my phone and every single room is like, hey, I'm Sonos. Nice to meet you. There you go. And the beam is sick, too. I replaced my old beam, put in the new one. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your beam today. That's S-O-N-O-S dot com. And hey, a millennial said it knocks. So that's what I have on the call there. Uh, The Pats in the Super Bowl. In my dome, as I mentioned just a second ago, I didn't want to pick it. Okay, I picked New Orleans. I was wrong. Totally get that. I'm okay with it. Picking... (laughs) Picking against New England again after what happened with the Chargers, I didn't want to do it. Even though I sneaky was still kind of feeling the Chiefs. And I don't really know that it was wrong, although that first half defensively of what the Pats did and their ball control offense is brilliance that I just don't know that anybody can obtain other than Belichick and the staff. The Pats staff must have watched the Colts film on what they could and couldn't do against the Chiefs in their playoff game and vomited with laughter. (laughs) It had to have been because they gashed him when they wanted to. They absolutely stuffed that offense in the first half. They got after Mahomes. They limited Hill somewhat. And then you kind of knew. It felt a little bit like that Rams-Pat Super Bowl in their first win, where if that game had another quarter to it, the Rams were winning the Super Bowl because they had finally kind of figured some of the stuff out. And the Pats playing the Chiefs already once in the regular season, I think it had a lot to do with the fact they were able to win this thing, even though it very well could have gone the other way if the Chiefs win the toss. So I don't feel like that's necessarily getting one wrong. I just didn't want to get one wrong again with New England. And they they own me. And I'm leaning their way against the Rams in the Super Bowl. I'm not ready to make that pick. 
but I just want to share with you how domed up I am about this franchise. Because I've picked him in almost everything except for a handful of games, and I think I've split that. But them looking this bad in the regular season and getting smashed by the Jags, the Lions, and the Titans, and Brady looking like he was slipping a little bit to come back and play like this in two playoff games and destroy a Chargers team and then go into Kansas City and do what they... I didn't think it was possible for the Chiefs to actually be shut out at halftime. I'm serious. NBA, baseball, hell, throw hockey in there. Give me something that is more surprising that actually has happened than the Chiefs being shut out in a full half. I don't have it for you. Maybe Cousins getting $5 million. Did go to see him live. Check out the ESPN Ryan Rosillo Show pod for those reactions. So that's where I'm at there, leaning a little bit. McVay, shout out to Sean McVay. Shout out to the Millennials. I know you're getting crushed over this fire festival thing. <laughs> you have my back, youngsters, that want just to party and listen to music. And do it underneath the sun. I've watched both docs. I like both. You should check them out. McVay did not go to Fire Festival. You want to know why? Because he's too smart. He saw it coming. <laughs> I wouldn't have at that age. I'd be like, here's my tank top. Where's the rum? Um, they, remember when they brought in all these dudes this offseason? They brought in Tlaib and Peters and Sue. And now they're in the Super Bowl. So does this mean, hey, let's go get those guys out there? I'm more of a Tlaib guy than I am Peters and Sue. The Sue storyline, I think, is kind of funny, at least being in L.A., because he really mailed it in all year long, and he's been pretty good now. And he had two sacks in that Saints game, but if you watch it, like, sacks can be so misleading. Like, if you have a ton, that means you're good. If you have zero, that's probably a problem. But it can come down to pressures. There's better ways of, of looking at this stuff than just sacks and I don't think Sue had a great season, but now we've seen him because there are times that I thought during his career he was the most dominant, horrifying defensive player in the league. But if I'm a Rams fan, this is awesome, this part, the last couple of games, but I don't I don't understand some of the media, the Rams media going, well, you know, you knew he was going to turn it up once the playoffs came around. Like, what does that mean? You're not 40. So McVay has handled this incredibly well. Because you go, all right, well, if they're loading up on all these difficult slash, dare I say, difficult personalities, is that going to work? Are they going to walk over all over a young McVeigh? Is this where you need an older guy? You need these different things. And it completely worked. I don't know what he's doing other than it just seems to work. But I always warn, and I'm not saying that McVeigh is Josh McDaniels, but when Josh McDaniels got off to that amazing start with Denver, everyone said, ah, oh, well, he's young. Think about it. He can relate to the players. They relate to him. They all are kind of the same mindset. It makes sense. Team should hire younger guys. Look how good Josh McDaniels is. And then it went south real quick. He got canned, and it was immediately a little too young. A little too young for the job. So I'm not saying that's going to happen to McVay, but the fact that he has been this. You know why McVay's good? It's because he's McVay. It has, I don't think it's the age thing here. It's his approach, his mindset, and his ability to dissect things here. And uh, they looked they looked terrible in that first quarter. And the fact that Goff and all those guys settled down, that was incredible. Gronk, apparently the national media thinks he only blocks now uh, and that he's never blocked before. So yes, I should say the catches are down. We know that he does not stretch the field the way that he used to an incredible one-on-one catch where Romo was sitting there and Romo was so good in that Chiefs broadcast that people actually think he may have been getting the live feed ahead of time like some people have done uh, with the NBA draft. I think Jeff Goodman, he just had a guy that was like along the pipeline giving him the pick and then it was like, is he breaking every one of these? And they go, no, he just he clearly has a guy and he's getting it out there so that's good for him. People actually thought maybe Romo had an advanced feed because <laughs> he was so good at dissecting what the Patriots are going to do. I think it's just personnel and formations and him realizing the coverage because he's played that position a really long time. And I can't believe that more, I don't know if the NFL is the only sport that allows it to be that way, but for the other guys that have been doing color commentary a long time, Romo should piss you off so much to make you better at your job because Romo was incredible. Anyway, that big catch that he called, the one-on-one, he said if the safety comes downhill, it's going to be one-on-one. He threw it. Eric Berry, Gronk wins that fight. But every national broadcast now, which is, again, all the football games, 
they're all doing this thing where it's like, well, Gronk has just really taken on this blocking. He has been a monster as a blocking tight end from day one. He's always been nasty. So you want to tell me he's staying in the block more? I'd have to see the numbers. I'm not saying that's not necessarily true, but he didn't just all of a sudden the last couple months decide to be a good blocker. He has always manhandled dudes. Finally, Drew Brees, sneaky hasn't been great since that 11th game of the season against Atlanta. And I know what the overall numbers are in the last two playoff games for him, but if you watched it, I think there's a lot of stuff there that I didn't like. I even saw some of the stuff in the Philly game I didn't like. So R- Warren Sharp pointed this stuff out, but his his rating on throws over 15 yards since that Atlanta game have dropped significantly. Now, quarterback rating isn't everything, but he went from a 144 before Thanksgiving to a 63 rating after Thanksgiving. His completion percentage on balls 15 yards or further down the field went from 63% to 41%. His touchdown interception ratio, 6 to 0 to 1 to 2 picks. So that one's a little... The yards per attempt cut in half. 18 yards per attempt, 10 yards per attempt. So he's completing 20% less. He was completing it at less than half the distance and his rating less than half of what his rating was before. And then he showed a clip where he went to tackle somebody after a pick in the Atlanta game. Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. The guy played the rest of the way. It would have been his left shoulder. And I just thought those numbers were one really good. I don't necessarily love when we start looking for injuries that may not be there. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But Breeze, not saying he's done, but sneaky, not great. Uh, The last stretch of a year where he was right there with the MVP, and the MVP should be Patrick Mahomes. Okay, let's hear Brady's stories. One of my guys I've known a long time has been great to me. NBC Sports Boston. Miss working with him. Tom E. Curran is about as plugged in with the Pats as anybody over this entire run. You were there in the beginning, Tom. So give us a, a potpourri of Brady stories. All the best stuff that you've ever thought of covering this dude. You know what? Let's go chronological then. Because Perfect. I remember after Bledsoe got hurt, Brady had played in the preseason that year so brilliantly, actually, to the point where it wasn't even close during training camp practices in 2001. It was obvious that um, he looked much more capable, and it looked that way when he was on the field as well in some of the preseason games. So when Bledsoe got hurt, I remember walking behind Ron Borges' chair in the locker room, excuse me, in the press box, and saying to him, uh, hey, don't be nice to uh, the quarterback just because he got a boo-boo. And uh, Borges goes, you know what? You're going to find out now. You're going to find out. So my contention had been that Drew Bledsoe was holding them back. And his contention was that you have no idea how screwed they'd be if they didn't have Bledsoe. So it kind of proceeded from there. And I would tell Brady that I was taking a pile of shit on his behalf every week. So that's when we started to develop a relationship. We got into this routine where every Friday I'd walk over to him and speaking of uh, Brady in Foxborough Stadium and say, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? And every week, Ryan, every week, we are going to kick their ass. We are going to absolutely kick their ass. And he just felt that way all the time. So that was one thing just where I got into that initial idea of how competitive he was and how confident he was. Okay, so you, at that point, like it didn't feel fake to you, did it? No. No, full-on, complete self-belief and the belief of all his teammates. See, some of these stories aren't just from the mouths of Brady, but they're from people who looked around. I remember sitting in the Super Bowl locker room after Super Bowl 36, and to Bucky Jones, you know, it was different then. You could just hang around, even 20 years ago, and talking about it, he goes, to Bucky Jones, of all people, he goes, you know, Bledsoe wasn't the guy for us, but we felt really good when Tom was in. And that lawyer always said the same thing the week Bledsoe got hurt. Maybe we need somebody with a little more fire. Wow. So those are some of the early ones. Yeah, those are the early ones. Okay, give me a uh, give me the next chronological one that maybe is a different Brady story. All right, 2003, I used to do this thing called Irrelevant Questions, where I would just write down a, a list of questions that had nothing to do with anything. And Brady called, set it up with Brady, and he called me on the phone. And we, we must have been on the phone for 45 minutes just talking about everything from the stupidest thing he ever purchased, which was a pair of sunglasses for 800 bucks. This was in 03, um, to race relations and, um, 
how he was able to identify as a kid who grew up fairly rich in Northern California and why he was able to capture and captivate and not look like kind of a fair-haired boy that, that so many quarterbacks have looked like in the past and, and don't. So by the end of it, he's like, did you write these questions? I said, yeah, because I'd only known him for two years, and this was probably the longest conversation. He goes, these are really good. It's a great talk. I said, well, maybe we'll go out and get a beer sometime. So a couple of years later, at 05, <clears throat> went to a Celtics game, and then afterwards, he used to go to this bar um, in the South End where his sister was a bartender. So I said to my brother, I said, let's go and just see if he goes in there. He comes in, and there were a lot of Patriots coming in. I think Izzo was there. Dan Copeland was there. It was a Monday night late in the season. I remember the, the Dolphins were playing, and I think this was 04, 05. And uh, so my brother was really, you know, giddy. They, the kid had already won at least two, maybe three. I can't remember the exact time. At that point, but if it's three, sits, yeah, right, he's going to win his second one, or yeah, if it's after that. and right. he just he sits down and just starts shooting the shit for the next 15, 20, 25 minutes with us, just like you would, just like I would, just like anybody that, you know, you have somewhat of a shared experience with, but nothing high-end. And I remember by the end of it, I'd had a few beers. I'm like, you know what? Can I swear? Yeah. Too late. You know what? We go to fucking Myrtle Beach every, uh, you know, like April. If you want to fucking go, we definitely should should have you come. He's like, yeah, you know, that sounds fun. Never committing at all. Oh, and I'm yeah, like, right. I wake up in the morning. Yeah, fucking Tom Brady's going to go to Myrtle Beach with you, you idiot. So, uh, hey, man, I, I get it, though. I mean, look, I get it. Like, this is going really well. Like, maybe I'm going to be great friends with Tom Brady. Like, yeah. Come not, and hang around with yeah. me and my 38-year-old friends who all have three kids and make about 40K. Yeah. <laughs> you can have a blast. He'll fit right. Like, Brady will probably like us, and then we're going to start hanging out a lot. Uh, God, that's good. That's really good. Because I've been there. Um, and then there's this thing that happens as you get older. You start realizing, like, no matter what, no matter how much a dude likes you, like, they don't really like you that much. All right, so... Give me, uh, do you have any stories from like somebody not liking him or not buying in later on? I mean, let's forget the doubt from the national media, at least this past season, which I think was at times warranted. But uh, do you have anything that's like different? That's, that's something yeah, that, um, go ahead. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that there are guys like Bethel Johnson or PK Sam or Chad Jackson that um, if you mess up a route one time too many, he just writes you off completely. You're never going to see the ball again. It he, doesn't fucking matter. He did it Chad dead. Johnson. Once Chad Johnson was dead, like you could, that's one of the greatest things about watching every one of these games is you could see the way he threw or didn't throw to guys or if you throw low to certain guys more often than not. Like he knew every guy. And then you're absolutely right. Like he would just totally give up on you. It's, and, and to the point where you have to make a decision. And, and that to me is one of the interesting things as well because that turns into... And it's an inter-office combat, really. He has no say and never asked for any say with personnel, even though he probably would have liked it. So his only way of showing that Bill Belichick's guys that he signed aren't working is to not throw to him. <laughs> so it's not like he can go, go get me this guy, go get me this guy. So, and that's, that is, is, has been, uh, and will be always a constant source of consternation between he and the coaches is, oh, fuck. Now Tom hates this guy and he's never going to get the ball. Now we have to find somebody else. Okay. Now, good, this is great. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. Maybe he'll have a chance. You know, just give it to him. Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, people who arrive here, you know, we have a million stories about how Brady will walk up. Hi, I'm Tom and shake hands. I think that there are guys who come, who are veteran guys who come to the team and look at it and say they might theorize that that's not really all he is. He can be that nice to everybody because he's that great. But um, just a, another story occurred to me um, as we were talking too. It's about in 2002 or three. I was waiting to go on Sports Final on WBZ with Bob Lobel and those guys, and. I can't remember who had taken a limo, but somebody was in a limo and the limo driver was standing there with me. And this, by this time, um, Brady had taken over for Bledsoe and Bledsoe was elsewhere. And the limo driver, limo driver said about Brady, he goes, I didn't trust that guy. 
I couldn't stand that guy. It's like, why? Goes, you know, I drove for Drew for about five years. And Drew takes us all, all these kids out one night. They all go out and they go to a bar. And Tom doesn't go in. He comes back out to the car and he sits down with me in the limo. And he says, tell me everything Drew does. Tell me how he does it, when he does it, why he does it, everything you know. And I wouldn't do it. I wasn't going to do it because I was loyal to Drew. But I fully believed it because the guy had no cause or reason to make it up. And it was a non-flattering Brady story. So it was interesting to me. Wow. How's that one? Is that all right? That's, that's incredible. What do you mean, is that all right? That was... <laughs> wow, that's, that's almost weird, man. Um, yeah. And that, well, I'll give you one but other it makes too. it uh, makes Brady more of a hero, though, like in a way that where people are like, well, that's fe-. like in the beginning, if that had come out early on, it's like, oh, that seems kind of backstabby. But at the same time, now it becomes part of the legend. Like, that's how locked in this guy was. And it wasn't that he thought he was betraying it, Drew, you know, go ahead. This is a cool one that um, <clears throat> the person is is a friend and he's, he's still in the league. Um, and he was, you know, in the front office type guy and he was leaving I would imagine at that point I would imagine it was Gillette Stadium but but it might have been Foxborough Stadium driving out in the Patriots always practiced in a bubble had to be Gillette Stadium because there was no bubble um, with Foxborough anyway driving out and saw the lights were on in the bubble so he goes what the heck what's going on goes over and Brady's in there just working on drops and throws like at eight o'clock on a Friday night um, by himself, completely by himself. And while that does sound like one of these, okay, you kidding me stories. Brady never wanted that to get out at all because it seemed weird. He's like, look, people give me shit that I'm trying too hard. And then I'm like doing this or that. So don't talk about it again. That sounded to me a little, far-fetched that, well, maybe he did want it to get out. If this actually happened, maybe he did want it to get out and figured this guy will be driving by at this time and be so impressed. But I never heard of it until last year. So that I thought was was interesting. He was very anal about, uh, please don't tell anybody about this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but see, that's the thing is like at this point he, he can't even win. So um, I don't No, I know, you know, like, all right, I, I actually do want to work really hard. I mean, that was his whole thing. That was the thing in the beginning. I think it's why Belichick wanted to go to him. But it's funny to think even back back then at Belichick, like who Belichick is now, I can do whatever I want. Like the old standard being, I can't get rid of Bledsoe for this kid, even though I think he's better and I want to go with him. Like, I can't. I can't. I mean, he would never do that now. He would never make the decision that he didn't think was the better decision. But at that point, Belichick had no equity. He had no juice. You got one right. more for us? Uh I've got a couple. There's uh, 2011. This is kind of funny. Egg on the face. Uh, I was lucky enough to be the pool reporter for the AFC. So I did the Patriots uh, media day on Saturday because they had the Hall of Fame vote and all those big wigs were over there. So I'm I'm in the stadium and watching Brady. You know, it's just picture day. They're not doing anything. So Brady is out there with his family taking pictures and shit. But he didn't really interact with his family. I thought was interesting. Um, they took some pictures and then left. So all the players leave the field. A couple people are still hanging around, but I'm still in the stands just writing notes on, you know, this VIP who was out there with the team. And then Brady comes back in his regular clothes, and I'm sitting in the Hoosier Dome, whatever the hell it was, RCA Dome, um, in the front row. And he comes out of the tunnel. And I was like, hey. And he turns around. He goes, what are you doing here? And I go, I'm the pool reporter today. He said, how are you feeling? He goes, we are going to kick their fucking ass. We are going to kick their ass. So I'm there. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I got this. Yeah, they got to bury these pricks. They lose. But it's just, that is how he is set. And he came back out because the rest of his family came out as well to have time by themselves on the field apart from everybody else. It's very interesting, too, to see how, as he's become more famous and more celebrated, how small and tight his circle has grown around him in terms of his family. You know, you look at some guys, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not going to pass judgment from afar, but sometimes the celebrity splinters the family. I think in Brady's case, it has brought them that much closer together in a lot of ways because he uh, he's not afraid to share all of the fruits of it 
with his family. He can't have everybody chewing on a piece of him. But he also, um, it's an interesting family unit in that there has been no splintering, at least from my vantage point, that I've seen. No, I think it was the so it. it was the secondary people, from what I've heard, that you know whatever group wasn't part of the family, like he trimmed that down dramatically because he got really there was something that happened. He got really upset about. I know a little bit about it. Um, and there's kind of those secondary tertiary people. They were just like, yeah, we're all out now. We're out. Um, yeah, which is what he did. He just so I think, I think that's why the family yeah, thing is so strong. Yeah, I think that makes sense too. I mean, there's been times he's been pissed at me. He's had a number of times where he was entitled to be pissed at me um, for different things I've written or, or said, or um, and he's told me he's pissed about it. Um, but usually, you know, he's not a grudge holding guy. So it's interesting. He's been an interesting guy to cover. I couldn't couldn't be luckier. I mean, it is Ryan. It is like covering Babe Ruth. In my estimation, this is awesome. I knew you were going to be great with this, Tom. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter for more of the stuff leading up to the Super Bowl? At Tommy Curran, T O M E C U R R A N, and I'm over here at the NBC Sports Boston. We got Quick Slants. We have Quick Slants the podcast, and of course, we have our normal programming all the time. But thanks so much. I'm so happy for your success as well. Thanks a lot, dude. Talk to you soon. Support for Dual Threat with. Yours truly, Ryan Rosillo, comes from CLR. It's a new year, time to make new goals outside of false hopes to hit the gym. A lot of people are aiming to keep a cleaner home in 2019, but it's tough to stay on top of the spills and stains, not to mention cleaning up all the muck from last year. Thankfully, CLR can help make your fresh start a little easier. CLR gets rid of the gross stuff. From soap scum to toilet bowl stains, it dissolves calcium, lime, and rust easily. And unlike those fools in the gym... You don't have to break a sweat. Wait a minute, we're making fun of gym guys now? Hold on. I didn't approve this. It usually it uses natural ingredients, not harsh chemicals, and even carries the EPA's safer choice seal. With other cleaners, you'll scrub and scrub because they don't work the way CLR does. Use it in your bathtub, sink, coffee. Coffee pot would make more sense. <laughs> this way this is written. I'm telling you. Let me give these guys another one. Keep this in. Don't even edit it out. Use it on your bathtub, your sink. Your coffee pot, dishwasher, all over the house. If you're looking to wipe the slate clean this year, go to clrbrands.com today or pick up a bottle from a retailer near you. CLR, making the world a little cleaner. Drew, so let's start at the beginning and let's make sure I don't make any mistakes. I researched you quite a bit. Uh, Obviously, we've known each other a little while here, uh, but I went back and, and started researching everything. So you were on campus at Michigan as a freshman 98 right you didn't play um really that much and then your year was in 99 but you were drafted by the yankees in 98 correct yes i was drafted out of high school by the yankees uh, in the third round and over the summer we were able to negotiate a contract that allowed me to essentially be an amateur in football and a professional in baseball so i i play the fall season and, and uh, go to spring ball and then when school was out i had to report for the summer and then come back early August. so I can't imagine. I mean, I know everybody's probably said this like, oh, when I was 18, I was. And you, look, you're just different when you're a top baseball prospect, when you're a top football prospect. How awesome was that? Like, were your friends even jealous of the idea that you just go and try to play professional baseball after being on campus as a freshman at Ann Arbor? Yeah. I mean, I bought a lot of pizzas, put it that way. Um, <laughs> but no, it was great. I mean, compared to other summer jobs, uh, you know, I got to go and, and, and play for the Yankees in their system. And you know, there were some unique situations like during spring break in the middle of spring football practice, I'd go down and have 10 days of spring training and come back. And uh, there was a constant, you know, scheduling uh, deal between the school, the team, uh, and then my academic studies. But uh, yeah, you're 18, 19 years old and uh, I had the best of every world. I've always felt like the Brady thing was maybe overstated. I don't know how you felt about it, but like when I was in Boston, everybody loves to embellish the stories. And it was, oh, Drew Henson was taking Brady's job. That, that really wasn't the case. I mean, Brady played the majority of the snaps, but maybe there was a little bit of drama in that. How did you see that story from your perspective as this big recruit coming in? Well, I could understand it from the outside because I was local, just uh, you know, from just down the road in Brighton. Um, and Tom hadn't yet started. You know, everybody knew he was a good prospect. They were just coming off the national title with Brian Greasy as the quarterback. Uh, but really, I mean, because of Michigan's profile, uh, I think I think that's something to do with it. But 
uh, you know, quarterback competition happens at every school, especially schools with, uh, you know, good prospects and, and, uh, you know, lining up guy after guy. And so my freshman year, I ended up playing in eight or nine games as the backup. Uh, and then the second year, uh, you know, coming out of training camp, coaches felt like both guys served a chance to play. And, and that's what we did for about seven weeks. And then you get into the stretch run, uh, and with a chance to win the Big Ten. And they, you know, they went with Tom, uh, to try to go win this thing. And that's what they did. So, uh, within the team, uh, you know, Tom was a captain. He was an established leader. I was a second year player trying to, uh, trying to make my own mark, but at the end of the day, it was all about winning games. And and people from the outside, you know, come on with a bigger story uh, as Tom's become what he is than necessarily what it had been during that time. What's your best Brady story? What's the one you tell your buddy still now that makes you laugh? Oh, geez. Um, there'd be stickball, you know, tape ball in the locker room. And, uh, you know, Tom would be swinging left-handed and then guys would try to get him out and you're hitting the tape ball around, smacking everybody up the head. Um, well, Tom was a huge baseball fan. I mean, he was drafted by the Expos. And so uh, a lot of times in the downtime, you know, talking baseball and uh, all of that kind of stuff. But the other the other thing uh, that's a good story is that, you know, you sit in the quarterback's room and you're killing time. And so you kind of go through all the other college programs, quarterbacks, and these high-profile guys and what we all think of them. And I just remember Tom would go through and say, well, he sucks. He sucks. I'm better than him. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, he proved it all right. Uh, you, you could kind of see his internal confidence even at that time, but um, he didn't take a step back from anybody. So he just would look at film of other guys, and he would just—he thought they were all terrible. Yeah, and yeah, he he would never say, "Oh, this guy's pretty good. This guy's real good." Um, no, he would never give in that way. That's funny. Did he ever have any moments where, <laughs> like, privately, he and you would be talking? He'd be like, "Man, this is fun in college, but I'd love to be an expo." Probably not. Right? <laughs> Probably not, um, you know, but he was a good catcher and he had a real nice swing. And uh, if that had been his choice, I, I have no doubt he had been successful. Hey, Drew, I really appreciate this, man. And uh, thanks so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Okay. Another guy that has covered Brady from the beginning. And this guy believed in me more than anybody in Boston back in the early days, the old New England cable news hits for 75 bones. And that was huge for the Rosillo <laughs> fund back in uh, 03 when it all started. Now he's with NFL network and I'm, so pumped for him. Great guy, Mike Giardi. Okay, you were you were there in the beginning too, right? When's you, when's the first year you started covering the Pats? Two thousand. So oh my I, had, God. Uh, I came I came in with Belichick and Brady. Good timing. Okay, so give me your your go to Brady story. Well, it, this one is sort of just about it. I think to me, it speaks to his attitude. It was his first year as a starter, two thousand one, and it was sort of maybe midway through. You know, Bledsoe was starting to get healthy again, so you're hearing rumblings about him coming back and. You know, they had done a lot of um, throwing it sideways, if you will, at that point with Brady, a quarterback. And I think uh, one of the local columnists that said, like, yeah, made like a snarky remark, like nobody throws it better sideways than Brady. And I hadn't quite, I wasn't with everybody who, who was like, this guy's going to be the guy for, for some time. I was still kind of skeptical. And so I walked up to him and I said, I, I brought that up. I said, hey, you know, seems like you guys don't really push the ball down the field at all. I mean, can you really win? at the level that you want to win, throwing the ball sideways. <laughs> and he just looked at me like I had 10 heads, and he's like, it's going pretty well so far, and I think it'll get better as we go forward. Just wait and see. And I was kind of like, that's kind of a cocky answer for someone who really, you know, again, hadn't really done much to this point. And really, there was a lot of, like, you know, check downs and quick screens and, uh, you know, Troy Brown usage over the middle, like nothing, nothing crazy. And he just, the look that he gave me is something that's frozen in my brain forever. And then I remember that later on when they, you know, they won the snowball against Oakland in that, in that first playoff run. And, you know, he's throwing the ball in the snow and it's difficult to tell. And I was like, man, took me a little while to get on the train, but he knew exactly what he was talking about and, and how much better it was going to get. I'm with you. Cause in the beginning, I was like, what is this? You know, and I mean, he was actually like the epitome of a game manager, the way we talk about him now, what they did and didn't let him do. I, I don't, I think there's a, a whole nother generation of NFL fans that don't understand at the beginning of this thing, it wasn't that impressive, but there are things going on around it that I don't think you could know unless you're around it all the time. Like, is he the most liked or beloved teammate that you've seen of any of the sports that you covered in Boston the last 20 something years? 
I mean, that's the thing. And it was actually funny that you mentioned that because I, I was just in the locker room talking to guys and, you know, from, from undrafted, you know, second year guys on the defensive line to, you know, the, the Gronks and Edelman's of the world who, you know, now are established and they all just rave about his leadership ability, his ability to sort of, you know, translate across all fronts and, and races and to each corner of the locker room. And, uh, one of the kids today said to me, he's like, he's like, man, I come in here and I see his face and I get energy from him. And I know how he hard he's worked to get here and how hard he's working to stay at this level. And that means I got to I can't let him down. I got to work as hard as I possibly can. And then when I think I don't have any more, push it even further. Cause I know that's how he's doing it. Okay, give me your most entertaining Brady story. Oh, man. Um, and, you know, early on to, uh, you know, when Matt Castle was here as his backup, well, that was around like 2005, 2006, somewhere around there, they loved the practical jokes. Uh, and the offensive line, Matt Light, was an incredible practical joker. Dan Copen, who's kind of sneaky, funny, like they would run games on him. And uh, I think at one point they took, they've been going back and forth, and they took Castle's car. And they put, I think they filled it up with popcorn and took all four wheels off the car. Uh, so when he came out after practice to go home, his car was completely destroyed. Uh, I believe, if uh, if memory serves me right, uh, that they were basically told to cease and desist by Belichick. Like, all right, this has gone. We've taken this to a level too far, so don't do this. So there was, uh, but Brady was very much responsible for making sure that Castle Castle tended to decide with the linemen. That uh, they got Castle back, and that was uh, that was heavy on Brady. How has Brady changed in the way you think he's handled? I always feel like, I guess the best way to set this up is that you're either a Belichick guy or you're not. So there are people that look at the Belichick approach and go, "Uh, uh-uh, no way, not for me." And I don't think Belichick wants free thickers, you know. And Bill's argument would be like, "I think I'm, I think I'm doing all right with my way. My way's <laughs> working out." And to me, Brady was like the epitome of that, malleable, somebody that Bill could go, you need to think this way about everything. And they were like on the same exact page for the longest time that in a way it was like, man, it feels like Tom's almost brainwashed by Bill. But then you turn into the greatest quarterback of all time. You had to do another Super Bowl. You turn 41. You start having different thoughts on life in general. How have you seen that dynamic change from just I'll do whatever you want, Bill, to I'm pretty awesome at this as well? Yeah, and I think we sort of we reported on that and talked about that a lot over the last year or so, uh, year and change from the Seth Wickersham story to something some of my colleagues and I talked about quite a bit at NBC Sports Boston at the time um, about their relationship and the friction that that they you know were dealing with, especially last year and into this off season. But at the end of all of that, and I think maybe Belichick has bent a little bit. I think you saw some of the ways they relaxed training camp this year. To me, that was almost a nod to some of the things that that Tom and, and, and Gronk had talked about uh, directly or indirectly during the course of last season and the off season. But that once it came down to, all right, now we really have to narrow our focus. Now it's the games matter. Um, that Brady goes right back to where he's always been with Bill. And that is, I trust you when it comes to to winning football games that you'll put this team in the best possible position, um, you know, last year's Super Bowl, notwithstanding with the Malcolm Butler stuff, that you'll put us in the best possible position. And I need you like you need me. So let's go do what we have done so well for the last two decades. And that's obviously win at a, a ridiculously high level. That's a really good point. That last point there that, yeah, once the game started, all the stuff that's been written, because I... I know Pats fans never want to believe that there's any turmoil, but you know it as well as anybody. And I, I thought some of the stuff, uh, Seth stuff was wrong, was right, excuse me. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's ever going to get away than these guys trying to accomplish the goal, which I think is really special about this whole relationship. And we're seeing it again this week. Uh, hey, maybe I'll see you down in Atlanta, dude. Thank you so much. All right, man. Appreciate it. Millions of men across the globe suffer from textile dysfunction. Get it? 
You're getting worried there for a second. Leading to poor performance in their dress shirts. Thankfully, Mizzen and Maine has developed a cure. Their dress shirts are made with performance-driven fabrics. They're designed to look great all day and require no ironing or dry cleaning. Mizzen and Maine dress shirts provide all-day comfort with built-in four-way stretch and moisture-wicking technology. These are the dress shirt of choice for many top professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. If Mizzen and Maine can increase their performance, imagine what it can do for you. There's no more need to be embarrassed by your textile Function. Head to mizzenandmain.com to find your cure and discover the longest lasting best look for men. That's mizzenandmain.com. Use promo code DUAL, D U A L. That's mizzenandmain.com and use promo code DUAL, D U A L, for $10 off any dress shirt. Ask your doctor if your heart's healthy enough for you looking the best you've ever looked in your life. How about that? If you experience your dress shirt looking great for longer than four hours, good job. I actually kind of respect this, this read. You're wearing Mizzen and Maine. Mizzen and Maine. Look great. Longer. Okay, before we let you go today on Dual Threat, I got to talk about The Bachelor. Why? I'm like, wait a minute. Juliet has a Bachelor podcast. She does. We don't need to hear from you, Rosillo. I think you do. I don't watch the show, so I might not be your go-to guy for this. And I'm not one of those people that does the... I don't like when people do this about art. Where they go, I don't, oh, The Bachelor, what are you, a loser? Oh, The Bachelorette? Seriously, a waste of time. Mindless. Sometimes we need mindless. Sometimes I like to watch Below Deck a lot. But I don't watch The Bachelor. I don't know why. I'm sure if I watched three episodes and I'd be in. That's basically how Below Deck got me. Stuck in a hotel, the right one. And I didn't really know what to do. And it was on. And I go, well... I got to see what's going on with Hannah here. Um, so, look, I'm not judging anybody for liking any reality show that is deemed mindless, sucks, or what? Like, what's the reality show? They're like, oh, no, actually, this is, you know, you're not all watching Nat Geo, kid. But there is something that's going on with the Bachelor, Bachelorette franchise that has been overlooked. And I think it's more than just a controversy. I just think there's a lot of liars that go on those shows. So I did some research, and I emphasized some, because I know what I'm about to present to you is wrong, but so is what's been presented to you on these two shows. The number of former athletes, pro athletes, you, using air quotes here, uh, that is misleading. I don't understand. Like, what do you get to do when you show up and try out for either of the shows? Like, hey, Ryan, what do you do? Um, I'm an MMA guy. You are? Yep. Have you fought anyone? Well, for money, like that people went to? No. All right, so we can put down a UFC guy? Yeah, I'd like to be in the UFC. All right, great. So, oh, this season, we have UFC fighter. Right? And that's that's all you need. That's all you need. They vet you out. They put you in the hotel. They don't let you use your cell phone. Like when you make the very end, the very final part of this, although I, that may have been Survivor because I bartended with Boston Rob for a stretch. Uh, he told us that he watched a ton of porn and then lied about it <laughs> when the people from CBS were like, so what were you doing in your time up in the room? Like so you're sequestered, you're away from everybody. It's almost like being on jury duty for a major case or major trial. And he was like, oh, nothing. They're like, do you watch any the tall films. He's like, no. They're like, well, we have your hotel bill right here. There's like 12 movies. Um, I'm sure statute of limitations have passed because it's been over a decade since he told me that story. It's been a long time. So um, that happened. Uh, but there's all these guys. The point is there's so many people that haven't played pro sports that then say they're playing pro sports. So who went through them all? Your boy, Rosillo. Although... <laughs> There was one website, and I know this number is going to be wrong. It says there's 37 former athletes that have been on, on The Bachelor or Bachelorette. Two-thirds of those 37 were dancers, okay? <laughs> yeah, cheerleaders, dancers, you know, jock, pro jock. You know what I'm saying? So I don't really know how real that is, so that doesn't mean that this list is right either. Let's go through them. Nick Sutter, I don't know who he is either. He said he was a pro golfer. I don't think he's ever been on the PGA Tour, not knocking him, but he's not a pro golfer unless you're sort of that semi-pro thing. But you know how many basketball guys I played with that told me they were semi-pro? I'm like, I kind of semi-believe you. Uh, Jamie Blythe, uh, he played in a few basketball games in Stockholm. You ever heard of him? Me neither. Pro basketball player, though, on the show. Uh, hey, Rosilla, what do you do? Well, I'm an astronaut. Are you? Yeah, I'd look up in the sky all the time. Just haven't gotten on a ship yet. 
Uh, let's see. This is oh Graham Bunn, a bunch of a bunch of mutual friends heard nothing but nice things when he was on. He was considered a pro basketball player. Now I think he's like a Nashville talk show host. Not criticizing whatsoever because we do have mutual friends. Like I said, I've heard a lot of great things about Graham. But at the time, he was presented as a pro basketball player. I don't remember him playing for the Clippers either. Do you? Michael Black, what's his deal? Well, he was in Albany for a bit, and then Bulgaria. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Michael Black, pro basketball player, straight out of Albany. Uh, Damon Bowers, this guy actually, I think, had a decent AFL career. Damon Bowers was presented as a pro football player. Again, I guess it's not entirely a lie, but he was a wide receiver of the AFL, 39 touchdowns. Jeff Popovich, not Greg. He was with the Barcelona Dragons in 2001, but he was presented as a pro football player. Like, you don't, you're sensing a theme here. You're sensing a theme to any of this. Ryan Hogue, he actually was billed as an NFL wide receiver, even though he never played a snap. One of my favorites ever was um, the millionaire matchmaker, right? Patty, Patty Sanger. How did I pull that? I can't even believe I just remembered that. Uh, She's a memorable character in reality television. Remember Paul Davis, the tall white guy who was okay at Michigan State and then was one of those dudes who kind of the longer he stuck around, the worse his draft stock got. Kind of like an Eric Chenoweth, although Chenoweth's my boy, so I don't really want to. I'm just making a comp. Like if you had left earlier, you would have gone higher. You stick around. Same thing for Paul Davis. He was on that Millionaire Matchmaker, and she went to the girls. It was like uh, Paul Davis and Clippers star just signed a huge multi-multi-million dollar contract with the Clippers. Mm, might have had one good year of making money. Again, this isn't a knock on any of those guys. It's just reality TV is constantly overselling the athlete. I wonder, the men, not the thousands of women that listen to this podcast, but the men out there, hey, what do you guys do when you're sitting with your lady and she's watching this show and she's like, oh, hey, was Michael Black good in the NBA? And you go, <laughs> uh, was Jamie Blythe good? Um how about Nick Sutter? Is he one of your favorite golfers? No, not really. What about Ryan Sutter? Actually drafted fifth round by the Ravens. Um, then in his first, he played in a real game, and he blew out his shoulder with the Panthers. So thoughts and prayers to Ryan Sutter. Actually had a real injury, but got into a real NFL game. So that one's a little bit more real. Uh, this is Harold Hirsch. He was a pro hockey player. That's what he was billed as. Semi-pro. Played for a semi-pro Canadian team and then also played in a Jewish hockey tournament in Israel. (laughs) Jordan Rogers, we know him. We know him. I know him. Uh, Practice squads in the NFL, but you know what? Sick hair. I do like Jordan. Uh, I don't want to take sides in the Aaron Jordan thing, even though I will take a side privately. But Jordan um, has been nothing but but cool to me, so I'm not going to knock him there. But let's face it. I mean, pro football player? Mm, (laughs) Sort of. Ryan Bowers. Uh, he played sort of professional football. He signed with the Falcons, but he never played. So he has a ton of gear, is my guest. Justin Sherrod in the Wayback Machine. This dude was on the 2002 Trenton Thunder when I called the games for like half the season and half the games. Um, he was in the Red Sox system. He was a really good-looking guy. I'm sure he's held up well, I think. I'm not sure, but... He was six years in the minors. I think I remember him smashing fastballs, right-handed hitter, couldn't hit a curveball. Happens a lot. A lot of guys have holes in their swings down there. And then he went on. I think he went on the bachelorette. I don't think he was the main guy. Pro baseball player. Never played. I mean, again, if we're being real here, like if I played single-A ball and was 35, I don't think I'd introduce myself as a former pro baseball player. I just don't think it would. Now, if I were 23 totally. and firing on girls at dive bars in double-A cities, I'm the proest damn thing you've <laughs> ever seen, okay? All right, Josh Murray, he was pitched as a pro baseball player. He was the 48th pick in 2002. He's going to go pro. No, he didn't. Six years in the minors. And now we have Colton Underwood, the current star, the focus of the most recent season of The Bachelor. Big dude. A lot of size, not low-key thick, high-key thick. He played at Illinois State, and he was awesome there. But it was in the FCS. Four practice squads. And they say he's retired from pro football. If I, out here in L.A., tell everyone I'm an actor and never get a gig, 
for like five years, can I then tell people I'm a retired actor? Are those the rules? So I get it. Nobody really cares. And I probably care too much, but not enough to double check any of this stuff because I felt pretty stupid that I've ever prepped this much for this segment. Like really stupid. I just think we could all do a better job of just tighten the old screws on these backstories when it comes to the pro athletes on the TV show. Because the next guy that tells me he's a surgeon, I'm going to want to see some footage. Come back next week. We'll uh, be in Atlanta. I'd love to do the pod from Atlanta if you want. Did we just make an executive decision to do it it that way? Yeah, we'll set it up. Or I could just get it out. Because I think it's going to be better than Monday next week. Monday next week is going to suck. I don't know. Or I, no, I mean, I'm just making this up as I go along. Yeah, me too. Part of me wants to get out of the way. The other part of me is like, no, why don't I have better content for the people? You guys are the best. The podcast doing great. We go top five in episodes every week now. Like clockwork, son. No, it's awesome. And we're behind Simmons and then these other goofballs. That I, I don't know when this fad is going to run. But um, <laughs> <laughs> keep subscribing to Dual Threat. Thank you. Hey guys, I want to remind you again about Sonos Beam. It's the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and newest addition to the easy-to-use Sonos home sound system. Play everything you love and enjoy music, radio, movies, TV, podcasts, and more, all with Beam's brilliantly clear sound. Beam is easy to set up and comes with Amazon Alexa built in so you can enjoy hands-free control of your entertainment center. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Beam today.